With the third pick in the 2020 NBA Draft, the Charlotte Hornets select LaMelo Ball. Matt Rule, formerly of the Baylor Bears and of the Temple Owls, is now the head coach of the Carolina Panthers. Everybody, welcome into the third episode of the Queen City Collective Podcast. Going to be an all Hornets episode today. I have a very special guest with me, Walker Mail, co-host of Locked On Hornets. Walker, I'm super excited to have you today, man. We're going to be talking a lot of Gordon Hayward. It's good to have you. Yeah, man, I'm excited to be here. I appreciate you reaching out, and I'm just hoping that we can get some details on this sooner rather than later. Because it's funny, yeah. Woj tweeted an update that I put in air quotes. Or and uh, somewhat of an update, not really one though. And so I'm just hoping he basically that all just this... confirmed all the things we have been saying for the past couple of days. Yeah. And it's really more so on the Nick Batum stuff. We'll dive into it here, but I mean, it's, I'm not getting a good feeling from this. Owen. <laughs> yeah, there is a lot to talk about. I was hoping that I even said to you beforehand in the messages when we were talking about doing this episode that, you know, I'm really hoping that we get some details before we do this, but it, it just seems we're at the point that that's not going to happen. Like you alluded to just a second ago and I was going to bring up woes did finally give us some sort of confirmation about the thoughts all fans have been having um, about Gordon Hayward if you were outside of the Charlotte fan base or the Celtics fan base now at this point you might not know about it a lot of people I've seen casually on Twitter saying that you know Hayward's a hornet now it's done it's it's dusted no it's not There's still a lot of things that could happen um, but I do want to bring up Hayward for a second because Hayward last year only played 52 games for Boston Right, very small sample size, something you and not have talked about plenty on, on Locked On Hornets. But what do you think, how do his stats translate to this year uh, with the Hornets, with Borrego wanting to play such a fast-paced offense, with LaMelo coming in, just everything? Yeah, so, I mean, when I have a problem with the Gordon Hayward acquisition, it's pretty much all contractually. I mean, if you're, if you're to talk about, and just the scenario that they're in, if you're mm -hmm. to talk about his fit with the roster – he pretty easily, I mean, he fits well. And you're talking about a position playing really the three, can play four and defend the four. But if you're talking about him at the three, then who are the guys that are there that are really taking away the minutes or that he's eating up? I guess Miles Bridges a little bit, but you can still play Gordon Hayward, Miles Bridges, or P.J. Washington, Cody Zeller if he's on the team. And then, you know, we can figure out the rest of the front court. But overall, I think he's an excellent passer. I think that you can have some really nice passing lineups with Gordon Hayward in the lineup. So if you think about it, you put whoever in the backcourt, let's say you have Devontae and Malik in the backcourt, and then you have Gordon Hayward, P.J. Washington, Cody Zeller. I mean, that ball is moving all over the place, and I really like that. Um, you know, it's someone that can shoot, right? Like if you – and I'm not even thinking of Lamelo. I'm just going back to last year. I'm not <laughs> even putting Lamelo. We put Lamelo there. Of course, that's going to be someone – that is going to um, increase the passing on this team. You, you look at, let's put LaMelo at the one, maybe move Devontae to an off-ball role at two. Gordon Hayward obviously would be there at three. Then LaMelo can dish to those, to those guys that can shoot the three really well. You certainly have confidence in Gordon Hayward. And you mentioned, you know, just kind of looking at the stats last year, it was nice to see him score efficiently 
on a volume that increased over five field goal attempts per game from the previous year, basically his rehab year, the season right after that injury that he had. So shooting 50% on 13 and a half attempts per game, getting all the way to 18 points per game and shooting 38% from three, those are all good numbers. And I mentioned this on the podcast, you know, looking at his three point uh, kind of roller coaster has been interesting throughout his career where it hasn't been consistently good every single season. You look at yeah. his career three point shooting percentage and it's close to 37%, but you go to his sophomore year, you, you get rid of his rookie year, he's only playing 17 minutes a game. You look at the sophomore year on, it's 35%, 41%, 30%, 36%, 35%, 40%. It's just been kind of up and down. I hope that Gordon Hayward is able to you know, stay right around at least that 37% three-point shooting percentage. But, I mean, Owen, oh, I think he fits well in a lot of different lineups with this team. And so as far as the basketball product goes, I, I do think that it is someone that can gel really well with everybody else on this roster. Yeah, I just want to piggyback, too, off of some of the stats that you gave because a lot of people have been talking about the sample size. He only played 52 games. Again, like I said earlier, but I found the closest comparison I could get to what Gordon Hayward uh, could possibly look like next season with the Hornets. The pace is going to be a little bit faster with him and LaMelo on the team. So these possession numbers go up a little bit. But if you look at the possession per game stats for the Hornets last year, they were right at 99.8 which was dead last in the NBA. So I decided to go take a look at Gordon Hayward's per 100 possession numbers. Yeah. Right? Gordon Hayward last year sitting at 25.2 points per game, 5.9 assists, and almost 10 rebounds at 9.7 per 100 possessions a game. And that kind of season in Charlotte, I, I don't want to say with the loaded forward list and class in the East right now, I doubt that's worthy of an all-star appearance, but it, it's pretty dang close, especially since his first and only all-star appearance. Yeah, I mean, and this is someone, right, like he's made one all-star appearance ever in his, in his NBA career. Got paid career. for both of them, too. Yes, he did. <laughs> he definitely did get paid for that. And he, I mean, and he's a, he's a good player, too. I mean, it's, it's like, you know, I know people got mad. If you were for Russell Westbrook, and there wasn't too many, but people that were for Russell Westbrook were kind of looking at everyone that didn't like that situation and were saying, well, the hate's going way too far on Russell. You know, he's not an awful, awful player. It's some, I mean, it, people are just hating too hard on him. It's like, well, it just doesn't make sense for this situation right now. And like Russell's different where even, that was my biggest problem with the Russ situation was how he fit long longevity wise with. Yeah. Team. I mean, it, you're just talking about, you know, like, and I, I hope that that kind of isn't infiltrating Gordon, like, because Gordon is a good basketball player and, and, and he played well last season, certainly. Um, and he fits a lot better with this, with this team than does Russell. And so I, mean, we, I, don't, I don't like the move, but it doesn't have to be as bad as the Russell thing because I think he does fit well and he is a good player. But, yeah, you just rattled off some stats and we just looked at it. I mean, it's someone that isn't worth $120 million total. It's someone that's not worth $30 million a year. Um, but, you know, he is going to fit well with this team based on all the other pieces that they have on this roster. Yeah, I want to jump into the contract stuff a little bit, like you said, because that that number scares me. But some of the things that they could do with that contract in the context of this sign-in trade with Boston, which is really one of, what I want to circle back to. I was hoping we'd have a little more continuity of what this situation was. Right. But now we just have all these hypotheticals. Um, with this sign-in trade with Boston, right, you have Hayward who, if he signs at the number – that was sent out at the 30 million a year. 
Um, that gives what Boston, I think, $23 million player exception, right? Something around Something like that, that number. Yeah. Um, but if they were to adjust the way the contract was worked, right? If they, if they were to do a descending contract or ascending, whatever the case is, it could change the trade exception for Boston, uh, which could lead to them bringing in another team with the third trade. Man, NBA trades, especially since I've started looking into them um, because of this Hayward mess, really kind of hurt my brain. Um, it, it, it's a mess with, with all the things that, that they could do with this uh, sign and trade situation. Yeah, it really is. And so, you know, you're talking about this. I mean, and I, you know, over on Locked On Celtics, a part of the podcast network, you, I saw John Corrales talk about this. You know, Boston is going to be motivated to try to even have Charlotte go with a descending contract. So the more you can get on that first year, obviously, the better the TPE will be for Boston. Mm-hmm. So, and it's honestly better for Charlotte to, you know, so if you have a descending contract, obviously, it's better for Charlotte to pay Gordon Hayward what he you know at 33 million now and have it def- you know whether it descends I don't know maybe five percent every single year or so to the point where you're paying Gordon Hayward something like 27 26 whatever you get there by the end of his contract I mean that just makes sense to play a to pay a player that's getting older less money as he gets older that just makes sense for Charlotte and it makes sense for Boston and so you would hope that that'd be able to happen Boston is going to be motivated to try to get as much money as possible in a traded player exception. If you get, let's just say that Boston saying, Hey, Charlotte, what, what if you try to do this descending contract and have them, you know, pay 35 mil right up front? Well, that would be attractive to Boston because you're talking about getting closer and closer to a player that maybe like James Harden, you know, like he wants out. Boston, if they're looking to create this crazy type of splash, you know, that would make some sense. Or even Russell Westbrook, if Kim's health is a concern. Sure. And then, you know, maybe, maybe the Wizards decide that it's time to trade Bradley Beal, you know, like whatever, whatever kind of star Boston might be interested in, you know, of course you're going to want as much money as possible. And so, you know, now you're talking about, okay, like, like if you're the Hornets, what makes the most sense to me is getting rid of Terry Rozier and, and, and trying to send him back to Boston. But you could see, like, if you sent back Terry Rozier, you're t- a, a very much so decreased TPE for Boston to the point where it's going to be like something like $10 million. And if you're Boston, that probably just doesn't do it for you enough unless you are so hell-bent on not losing Gordon Hayward for nothing that you just decide to do it. But then at that point, are the Hornets going to have to throw in a pick to do it? And I don't want to give up any assets. And, well, and that's why all this yeah. has become such a mess. Yeah, and I think Boston kind of shot themselves in the foot because this the Hayward coming to Charlotte thing obviously came from – Beforehand, I, I really didn't think Hayward had much of a chance. I thought he was either for sure going back to Boston or if oh, he wasn't man, going to was Boston, so he was going too, to Indiana, but... right? So I think Boston really shot themselves in the foot and has led to this taking as long as it has because they botched the deal with Indiana in a sign and trade uh, because either Boston didn't want Miles Turner or some other form of assets. Didn't work out. So now we're in a situation, right, where Charlotte comes up asking, you know, how can they work out a deal for Hayward? Uh, because they know the Hornets, like, you're looking at the situation, okay, you guys don't have the cap to sign him for what you need to sign him for. You'd have to wave and stretch Batum. Why would you do that? So they asked for assets, Zeller, Miles, Picks, whatever the case is. And the Hornets are like, eh, no, we're the Charlotte Hornets. We'll still wave and stretch Batum and get our guy. Um, so now this has led to Boston knows we're willing to 
waste nine million for the next three years just to get Hayward. So now Charlotte's in a leverage position, and Boston's trying to get something in a free agency where they haven't done very much. Yeah, and and the only thing, the only reason that you would flirt with waving and stretching Batum is to coax Boston into doing a sign and trade with you. That that's the only benefit into playing this game of stretching Nick Batum. And if Danny Ainge calls your bluff, then you're like, oh, wait, no, I'm sorry, Danny. Like then, and then at that point, Boston would have some leverage in that standpoint because you don't want to do it. But both mm-hmm. sides should be extremely motivated to get something done. It's just so frustrating to think that the Hornets are actually on a really good path to continue to not give up assets, to move up a spot or two in the NBA draft, to continue to use your cap space, Mitch Kupchak, every single time he had some press availability. We're not going to be big players in free agents or, or, or free agency. We're not going to do it. We're not going to go after, I think he might've even, I don't even know if he said a Brandon Ingram's name, but that's the name that comes to mind, right? Like just a name like that. We're not going to go after some player like that to try to help us get to the playoffs. And I mean, that's exactly what happened when you went after a player like Gordon Hayward. And so now I don't know why they're so hell bent with one year left on Nick Batum's contract to load that in order to get to offload that to get Gordon Hayward when all you have is one more year left and then Mm. you're then you're good then your books are completely clear for the most part I don't know why they want to do this to us I don't know why that has to happen but eventually apparently it's going to happen and and the only benefit to do this is to coax Boston into not wanting to lose Hayward for absolutely nothing and so to coax them into a sign and trade and and now you know like any assets that they might give to the Charlotte Hornets in order to make this happen would have to go to Oklahoma City if that's going to be the team that takes mm-hmm. on Batum's contract. A, a lot of this looks like it's just going to get worse and worse. Yeah, I, I saw some reports because if you're looking at third teams to get involved with this, either you have to have a player that matches close or you know below whatever the case is of whatever player exception, trade player exception Boston's going to get. And, and I saw – if you're looking at the teams with cap space, New York's the only one left. Atlanta just spent all their money. Uh, Charlotte still has money left, but they're probably going to save it to extend the likes of Devontae Graham, Malik Monk, if he proves that he deserves it. Um, if you look at a team like New York, the only, only team with cap space left, I saw a proposed deal um, about Julius Randle coming to Charlotte in, in return for, I believe, uh, a couple picks to Charlotte just to make the, the deal work. So somebody gets assets somewhere and a deal gets done. Um, one of the things that I thought would be a good deal, especially with Kimba's question and health in Boston, is if a guy like Rozier and a third team deal goes to the Clippers, right? And maybe the Clippers send Pat Beverly, who was getting older, not sure how he fits after a bot season. And maybe you get Pat Beverly to go to Boston. And boy, wouldn't it be fun to watch Patrick Beverly and Marcus Smart play beside each other? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. That's the backcourt I do not want to go against ever. I mean, you're just going to go into – I don't know if you're going to win the game, the classic Pat Riley quote. You might not win the game, but you certainly win the fight with Pat Bev and Marcus Smart in your backcourt. Goodness gracious. I just had to, had to put that one in there. But there are so, so many ways the Hornets could go with this. And, and you alluded to it earlier about the Hornets possibly getting rid of Rozier. Looking at the roster as it stands right now with Hayward, assuming no assets go anywhere in this trade, Rozier really clogs up your rotation yeah. a lot, I feel like. I have absolutely no idea who's going to go out on opening night. I've seen people predicting LaMelo off the bench. You, you go back to Rozier and Devontae. How do you think that starting lineup looks on opening night? You know, night? It, it's going to be fascinating to see. Real quickly, just to talk about the Rozier thing, mm-hmm. like – 
you know, there have been times where I defended Rogier. He's a pretty polarizing guy among Charlotte Hornets fans. And, you know, even I've had my moments defending him too. Yeah. 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 And, and, and look, the defensive analytics are just absolutely atrocious and he's not, he's not a good defender. I don't think he's as bad as the analytics point to, but he's not good. And so it would make sense to get off of his contract for two more years to free up that, those spots because think about all the guys you have in the backcourt and LaMelo Ball now being the pick at three overall. Devontae Graham, Cody Martin is a backcourt guy that seems like there's at least enough there to see more about and, and played well at the end of last season. And you're certainly talking about Malik Monk who has a huge year, and I'm afraid being a huge Malik Monk homer, if anybody listens to the podcast, you know how much I love him. You know, being a huge Malik Monk guy, you know, I I don't want his minutes to get drowned out to the point where it's LaMelo, Devontae, Terry, um, and then, you know, even seeing what Cody gives you and then Malik Mm -hmm. not getting the minutes. So anyways, yeah, like that's why it makes so much sense for Terry Rozier to leave. If you wanted to comment on that real quickly before – did you want yeah. to say anything about the Terry Rozier thing? Yeah, I, I do want to add on to that for sure, actually, because I think Malik is the guy out of those five that gets left out because the first three are, if they're on the roster, are no-brainers. They're going to get their minutes between mm-hmm. three of them. They bring you too much, offensively especially. Uh, just one thing to point out, one of the reasons I was on the Rozier staying train was because I was really excited about how his catch-and-shoot three percentage yeah. can elevate especially because I, I think there's going to be plenty of times next year where James Borrego runs out a LaMelo Ball, Devontae Graham, Rozier, Miles Bridges, and P.J. Washington group going to be atrocious defensively, but they're going to run at you straight down your throat. Um, but I think Rozier, although I'm excited to see him play beside LaMelo, I would love to see Malik Monk get his minutes. Um, because if you're talking about that group of five, if you're picking between Cody Martin and Malik Monk, Yes, Malik is can give you more offensively for sure, but if you're looking at what you need at that level of depth, Cody Martin, what he can give you offensively as a rotation player, but more so defensively, I think would put him above Malik. And that that scares me too. I'm not a Malik Homer like you, Walker. I, I know very few that are, but <laughs> yes. I, I'm much more I'm much more than others. Yeah, no, completely. Hey, look, I, I wear that crown, and may, Nada is gonna fight me for that for that title too. But no, I, I'm a believer. I really am, especially with what we saw. That's why it was unfortunate for us to see uh, his season end the way it did with the violation of the NBA's anti-drug policy. But and even going back to you know a little bit of this this lineup and the way it looks. You know, the thing that interests me the most, Owen, is James Borrego's trust in Terry Rozier and how open he was at the end of the season, the exit interview, on how it messed him up when Devontae was playing really well in the first 10 games, and then Devontae is your point guard. Terry Rozier is in the starting lineup still, but he's now he has the point guard responsibilities and Terry is going to go to the two and Terry talked about how his role change really kind of messed with him and then he came back and bounced back strong you know I I fall in the middle of wanting to give him praise and handling that well to also just being like well too bad dude Devontae playing better he's of course going to be in the lineup so you know I fall in the middle of that we can I want to praise him but also want to keep it at a level that's appropriate Mm -hmm. so I, I wonder if Borrego finds it necessary to keep one of your few veterans in the backcourt and giving them real run with these young guys 
And let's say if he even is moved to a bench role, does he get starter like minutes? And, and is Malik going to be the guy that's on the outside looking in more so? And like you, I tend to think that's how it's going to go. So if you're talking about just to, to, you know, I went down a rabbit hole there, but if we're just <laughs> to answer like just black and white, what is the starting lineup? Man, I think LaMelo starts. He's got I think, to. I think it's good. I think, right. I think it goes LaMelo. I think it's Devonte and Gordon Hayward. PJ Cody. I, I mean, I just don't think they're going to start PJ at the five. I don't think they're going to yeah. do it. And so if Cody's on this roster, if he's not moved in the sign and trade or wherever, I'm going to go with PJ and then I'm going to go with Cody Zeller at the five. And that means two interesting moves there. Terry gets moved to the bench, which I, I still think he can be very effective there the same way. Um, but also, you know, Miles going to the bench would be an interesting development to see the season play out that way. And that, that's, that's what I would probably lock in right now if it was my best bet. Yeah, that would also uh, – I was going to say that exact same lineup. The only thing that scares me to touch on that starter, starter group for a minute is the defense potential of that backcourt with a 6-1 guard as mm-hmm. your uh, off-ball guard. Um, scares me a lot. Devontae's running off the ball potential makes me really excited. Um, to see how he can run around screens and really just run around with LaMelo as the primary ball handler after basically being the primary ball handler all last year. Uh, that makes me really excited. But the thing I like the most about a starter unit like that is who the reserves could be. Because then you could run out a second unit of Rozier, Malik Monk, Cody Martin, Miles yep. Bridges, one of one of your two centers that you just drafted, and Carrie and Richards, and then you still have Jalen McDaniels, who's left to fit into the rotation, Caleb Martin. There are a lot of exciting things that could come of the second unit um, if that is indeed how they roll out. Yeah, up. like it's fun deep. It's not, oh, hell, watch out NBA deep, right? Like, <laughs> okay, this yeah, is, I'm, this, <laughs> I'm, I'm with you. No, no, it's fun deep, though, right? Like, this is a team that, okay, yeah, I, I'm not going to turn off the TV when the second unit comes in. Like, there are still some exciting things to see when you have McDaniels come in and Cody Martin getting some real run. And look, this, and, and maybe I need to back off off that a little bit. Like, of course, they overachieved last year, but Remember, McDaniels was the first guy off of the bench at the end when they were winning. Like, McDaniels is good defensively. His yeah. awareness and his instincts are good. I'm, I'm a McDaniels homer after last year. Look, I, I mean, I, I don't know if it's appropriate for me to be a homer on everybody. I do like <laughs> McDaniels, though, a lot. I'm with you. I think he's got a real – I mean, I, I think he's one of the more exciting prospects on the team, too. So, if you have McDaniels that has that defensive versatility, I think he's mobile enough to – play three and, and and you even have him he's not beefy enough to play four but I, he's I mean tall enough he's, he's kind of play. a tweener with the the size really to play three and guard yeah. both positions but like you said he's not going to efficiently guard most fours in the league unfortunately yeah and, and not and certainly not if they're able to bully him so you know you need to get weight on him but the NBA does a great job at, at getting weight on guys and so I'm not worried too much about that but no I, I like McDaniels coming off of the bench same thing with Cody and and you talk about you know Cody's size really helping out that backcourt especially with it being so small I think that is big and then you mentioned a little bit defensively when we were going back to the starting lineup and what we talked about you know you're right Devontae is too small to be (laughs) running that off ball role and that's why it's frustrating with LaMelo not being pretty bad defensively right now because he certainly has the tools to be good defensively and it's just not there and and when so you know I made a big point of him fitting well with this Hornets roster 
you look defensively, you just look at the body without watching any tape whatsoever. You're thinking, yes, this does fit perfectly because he's alongside a Terry and a Devante. And, you know, that size can really help defensively. And then you watch him and he's not good right now. Doesn't mean he can't be, but he's not good right now. So that size is mitigated. You know, the size doesn't do you any good on that end of the court because he's just not there. Hopefully that can continue to improve, but it's going to have to in droves before we really expect too much from him at that end of the court. Yeah, that's why I saw, I cannot tell you how many Ben Simmons comparisons I saw when talking <laughs> about LaMelo Ball pre-draft. And whenever I saw Ben Simmons comparison, I, I just kind of rolled my eyes and didn't respond, right? You stopped because reading, you stopped listening. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> if <laughs> Simmons is not only a caliber passer that LaMelo can definitely be and surpass, quite honestly, uh, but Ben Simmons is an all-NBA defender. Right, that's what makes him a star without the fact that he cannot shoot worth a lick. Right, if Lamelo develops a jumper, it has to be one or the other. He has to either excel tremendously on the defensive end or excel tremendously on offense with his shot, and you know maybe get a little better defensively. Because I think that's the most likely outcome with his limits athletically. Well, yeah, and, and offensive, that's why the Ben Simmons comparison makes zero sense to me, other than neither of them can shoot real well. And even then, LaMelo will take the shots. Like, Ben just flat out refuses. He refuses to shoot mid-range or three-pointer. He's going to get to the rim, but he's so damn good at finishing at the rim. And LaMelo's not right now. That's a problem. Like, that's the thing, you know <laughs> – for any Carolina Panthers fans out there, you know, I, I, I somewhat liken it to, and I like the pick. This is going to sound like I'm hating on it bad. I somewhat liken LaMelo's size kind of being the Kelvin Benjamin, right? And before you win <laughs> and, and start, here's what it is. Because Kelvin was a big wide receiver that played small and didn't use his body to actually do what what benefits you for being that big at the receiver. You know, LaMelo's like that. Like, LaMelo's size should really help him defensively, and yet it doesn't. LaMelo's size should really help him finishing well at the rim and attacking, and yet it doesn't. And he's got some athleticism. You know, he's not this great athlete, crazy quick, wizard with the ball. And he's not – I mean, we probably all saw the video clip of him doing the between-the-leg alley to himself. He's, he's got some athleticism. The bottom line is he should be better defensively, should finish better at the rim, and yet he doesn't. And so just another point as to why the Ben Simmons comparison is so off-base. Like, Ben is ridiculous at finishing at the rim and defending, and LaMelo not anywhere even on the same in the same stratosphere as him in any of those uh, facets of the game. Yeah, for sure. I do want to talk a little bit before we get out of here last little bit about – the guys that the Hornets were able to come up with in the draft, uh, second round wizard, Mitch Kupchak, um, still stacking the second round picks after hitting, you know, he's got McDaniels, the Martin twins. Now one of them being an undrafted free agent, Devonte Graham. And now we have these other three guys who I'm all really excited about. Not sure if you saw earlier, I saw a video of uh, Vernon Carey, mm -hmm. just, you know, th th there was no defense. He was moving kind of lackadaisically, but uh, rim dive off of a screen the athleticism and the mobility that I saw in that one video from Vernon Carey was, I think, better than any highlight I ever saw from Duke. Yeah, very Jaleel Okafor-esque at Duke. And what he did in that video clip was very not Jaleel Okafor-esque. So oh, so you know the one I'm talking about. <laughs> yes, no, I did. I did see the exact same video. And, um, you know, there, there's some things to be encouraged by. And it, it's encouraging 
not even that Vernon Carey lost the 30 pounds just because of what he's able to do on the court, but it's encouraging that he went through the process to lose it, if that makes sense. And maybe I'm trying to go with the coach speak there too much. I'm glad you said that because I'm on the same wave with you. I told a lot of people that, especially pre-draft. I actually said it on BuzzBeat Pod when we were doing a little draft round table. I said, it's, yes, it's 30 pounds and players lose pounds all the time, but look at every draft. There's always a couple guys where scouts are like, oh, they really should lose weight if, if they want to succeed, and they don't. From this long offseason, everything that everybody's been through, for him to put in that kind of effort, not to just lose 30 pounds. Losing 30 pounds in the NBA is a lot different than us normal guys trying yeah. to lose 30 pounds, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, and, and you're talking about – It's a lot of dedication about- in a couple months. Yeah, and and to have this weird pre-draft process and to have him actually go about that process and lose the 30 pounds that he did and then his availability right outside Spectrum Center when they had all the draft picks in town. You know, we talked about hiring a chef, making sure that he was just putting in the work. And I go back to some comments from Chad Ford. And Chad Ford talked about if, if there's one thing that he's learned more than anything throughout all the years he's evaluated NBA prospects, it's, it, it sounds like a, a crazy cliche that, you know, and I, I've rolled my eyes at this kind of analysis too, because it's just too hard to quantify. But if there's one thing he's learned more than any with all these years evaluating, it's the fact that if you have a sense that players just aren't going to ha- ever have that want to, then man, it, you know, that, that shows up a lot. And, and the guys that are willing to put in the work often create NBA careers for themselves. And, and look, doesn't mean that it should swing your opinion one way or the other wholeheartedly and who you decide to draft it doesn't mean that Vernon Carey is going to be this another second round crazy hit like Devante was it doesn't mean that's going to happen but it's a good practice to get a guy in the second round that has that in him to know okay you know if if he's going to put the work in and if it doesn't happen for him then okay but you certainly know he's going to put the work in. And then we'll see about Nick Richards, you know, somebody that kind of had that same improvement, you know, in, in the same kind of conversation where we saw how much he improved in college. That's certainly uh, good to see. His free throw percentage is good. So maybe there's a little bit of touch shooting there. That's something that um, might be enticing going forward. And then Grant Riller, I know that was NBA drafts, you know, every NBA draft Twitter's love, you know, why, why yeah, isn't I, I was so excited about Grant Riller. The first step that he has uh, coming out of college, I think is ridiculous. He can finish at the rim better than I think most guards I've seen out of this draft specifically. Um, I, I think he's going to do work in the swarm. Um, it seems that he's ready and excited. I really think being in the CAA and playing at college of Charleston hurt him a lot. Um, but Grant Riller, honestly, is the one out of three that excites me the most. Yeah, and, and you mentioned his ability to finish at the rim. What, what, took, what I paid attention to the most when, when watching him was how comfortable he looked moving the basketball all over the place while finishing at the rim, if that makes sense. Because when mm-hmm. you're that short, you've got to be crafty to try to get it over the trees. And it's not like he's even going over the tallest trees in the world when you're playing at that level in yeah. college basketball. So it was important for me to see him, you know, not have these crazy things that, oh, you know, you, you know that, that, that shot over the head, um, you know, spinning it around a couple of times. That'll never work in the NBA. It all looked like really controlled moves once he was in the air to finish at the rim despite him being that short and I think that is a really nice thing to see from that size of a player to say okay yeah this is someone that can certainly make it and so you look at the body makeup 
it, it, it does remind you of Fred Van Vliet, which I, maybe that was a, a popular comp because somebody that went to a smaller level, even at Wichita State's on a different level, certainly. Especially when Van Vliet was there. Yeah, yeah, right. But even like playing at a mid-major, being smaller, um, you know, but also kind of being stocky, like Grant isn't crazy thin. He's got, he's got a little weight to him. And then uh, the thing about Riller, though, is you know, Fred Van Vliet does, did not finish well at the rim this season, and I'm hoping that Grant can. Like, that, that's the thing you took notice of. That's the thing I think I noticed the most, too, was not only can he shoot at three-point uh, three range, you know, he, he can you know, make those step backs mid-range. We saw a lot of, but I really was impressed with his ability to finish at the rim. Okay, before we get out of here, I want to get final thoughts on the the Hayward contract. Mine stand as – I don't love it. I don't really hate it, um, but I don't like it. <laughs> I, I think the the way that they can structure it has a lot of potential. And the thing I like the most that I haven't seen a lot of Hornets fans talk about is with the four years, by the time that contract is up, assuming uh, LaMelo can, is eligible for the extension around the same time most rookies are, he's going to be coming off the books when it's about time to pay or time to pay LaMelo Ball, which I think is, again, longevity way, way in the future, but it does matter. No, it does. And and I think you're right about that. If LaMelo hits and and you want to pay him a ton of money that's coming off of Gordon Hayward, then that certainly does matter. You know, for me, I don't like the move. Uh, I, I think that it went against everything Mitch Kupchak kept saying. It smells a lot like this is Michael Jordan, then even confirmed a little bit from With Zach Lowe's report. Call. Yeah, I mean, and and you look at, you know, I've defended Michael Jordan a couple of times. I think people love to just look for Michael as the number one scapegoat. And I always kind of rolled my eyes at it because I think people went too in on it. And I don't have a whole lot of defense for that right now. Because Terry Rozier, mm -hmm. when there was a write-up about his addition, when people killed that contract, it seemed like Michael went after Terry. It seemed like Michael went after Gordon Hayward here. And Mitch Kupchak seemed to have the right idea anytime that he had any press availability. And it seems like Michael went after this. I, I don't like the contract. I just think overall, if you were to sum it up in just one statement, it's bad business to give out bad contracts. And that's what we did here. And I just, I don't love doing it. And I don't care if it's a small market team that has to overpay for bigger stars every now and then, even comparably with Indiana and Boston flirting with like a 105 type total, Mm -hmm. it okay I don't want to compound on that and 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 speaking of compounding on this mistake in my opinion if they do this with Nick Batum waving and stretching or giving up assets then oh and it just becomes that much worse so basketball fit wise it works there's some things to like about it but overall I certainly wish they wouldn't have done it yeah I'm a little worried that the Hornets seemingly threatened to shoot themselves in the foot is actually going to wind up with them shooting themselves in the foot and basically paying Gordon Hayward 39 million dollars over the next couple of years so oh let's gosh, hope that yeah. isn't let's hope that isn't the case <laughs> but Walker I'm really glad I was able to have you on today man and hopefully we can do it again soon yeah man absolutely I had a great time thanks for having me on no problem I do want to say to anybody listening if you're listening this far first off thank you uh and second off don't forget to like, rate, subscribe, follow. There's so many different kinds of options now. Leave a review. Tell me what you like, what you didn't like. I would really appreciate it. And other than that, I think that's going to be it. And we'll see you guys next time.